Welcome back to part two of our podcast with Dr. Mike Franz, child and adolescent psychiatrist and medical director for Pacific Source, an insurer in Oregon. Here we're continuing our conversation around pediatric integrated care, but from an insurer's perspective. Well, um, I hope that we, it's okay if we shift a little bit of our conversation into uh, some of your um, your work in your your four day a week, <laughs> um, your role as medical director of behavioral health for Pacific Source. So I guess I, I wanted to ask first and foremost, because I, I think it's possible a fair amount of our listeners may not know this. What does it mean to be a medical director of behavioral health? It's <laughs> uh, a great question. Uh, <laughs> one, I think I'm finally beginning to understand about five years into this job. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it, ha- it has been learning on, on the fly. Um, there was no medical director of behavioral health when I, when I started this position, and it certainly did not okay. come with any manual. Um, uh-huh. I, I, I've really kind of had to figure it out on my own. But you know, there's a variety of tasks. Health plans are, what I have learned, are they are just extraordinarily complex organisms with multiple yeah. systems. And um, I think the, as a child psychiatrist, I, I, it, maybe it's not surprising that, that we're attracted and, and maybe thrive in those situations. I know that's one of the reasons I was drawn to child psychiatry was getting to work in a systems-based kind of a setting. Um, but health plans will, will, will definitely give you that opportunity as well. So mm-hmm. um, my goodness, uh, on any given day, I can do a variety of things as, uh, from you know, uh, negotiation, negotiating quality metrics uh, in contractual arrangements for value-based payments with mm-hmm. providers to um, looking at quality of care issues uh, that come up with our, our members uh, that have come to my attention to okay. consulting with our care management team, which are clinicians, often nurses and LCSWs who um, have really challenging cases that they're working mm-hmm. on with our provider mm-hmm. partners or with the members directly and and providing that consultation to them. Uh, that's certainly one of the most rewarding parts of it and, and, a, and a truly a, a clinical part of it. Um, you know, there is what probably most people think of uh, that that Q review where, yes, there's some utilization management and, and yeah, I need to review yeah. for medical necessity. Um, it's not my favorite part of my job, but it does keep me connected to the providers because I review the clinical notes and I can really get a sense of how our providers are managing the membership. So in that regard, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's really helpful to stay grounded in what's happening out there um, where the where the provider meets with the patient in the clinical setting. Um, but I think, you know, um, to bring integration back into it, my niche and I think the most rewarding part of my job has really been looking at opportunities to partner with providers and together collaborate on novel models of care mm-hmm. that we would like to put forward and then figure out how to sustainably reimburse them with right. an eye towards, you know, quality and outcomes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that's that's what I've been fortunate enough to be able to do, especially in our markets where we have 40% of all lives, which is central Oregon across our lines of business. Um, it's much more challenging to do that kind of work in markets where um, we have 1% of the market or less because then providers right. don't really have a reason. And it's right. understandable. Why would we want to enter a value-based payment arrangement if it's a PMPM and it's only for 1% of our membership? So, mm. you know, the multi-payer environment definitely creates obstacles to 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 doing this everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But where I've mm-hmm. had success, um, I look at ways to try to... 
um, expand it to other areas when possible. Wow. So it sounds like you 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 know wear many hats and 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 perform many roles, but a lot of it is focused on kind of developing that innovation. And, and it sounds like integrated care has been a big piece of that. Um, you know, I, I think for many of us out there across the country, you know, that have had such an interest in this space, um, you know, you, you've um, I think really highlighted some of the reasons why the space can be so fascinating. Um, you know, I think sometimes many of us, though, are still challenging with our regional payers to kind of to make the value case for integrated care. And I was wondering if you, you know, obviously, and, and we may not all have a Pacific source in our backyard. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice on how to navigate, you know, that discussion, how to kind of make that value-oriented case for integrated care, which often has what seems, I think, apparently to be an upfront sort of cost, you know, but um, uh, how, how might we be convincing to um, folks that are maybe in your position? Well, sure. Uh, and, and that leads me, I actually wear a third hat, um, not that I have time for it, but uh, in, in the past year, I decided that I would um, join a new company called Cartesian Solutions LLC, and it's a group right. of psychiatrists um, uh, under the leadership of Roger Kathal. It was really his company for um, decades, and uh, he invited us in to join him. And um, our company is a consulting company that really seeks to um, partner with various levels of the healthcare system governance structures, such as what we call um, maybe um, the, organ, the Oregon Health Authority example in Oregon or other ent- entities that make rules, regulations, and develop um, contracts for how health plans should administer their benefits. We also consult to um, health delivery systems and health plans and purchasers like employers to make that case that you're saying, okay. what is the value proposition for integration? Mm-hmm. And fortunately, one of our partners in this is Steve Mellick of Milliman Health. Oh, who's yeah. Mm-hmm. One of, I think, the world's best known actuaries and has a special interest in behavioral health. And we've been fortunate enough to get to work with him. And of course, Steve has you know, written numerous papers on this. I think some seminal papers in conjunction with the American Psychiatric Association that came out in 2014 and then updated in 2017 that really lays out the um, the opportunity here and maybe just as importantly, uh, the cost of not doing integration um, mm-hmm. to the extent that um, folks with comorbid behavioral health conditions and chronic chronic medical conditions can cost you know two to four times as much as that same patient without the comorbid behavioral health condition. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, we know most people with behavioral conditions are not getting in and getting effective treatment. So right. in order to get them in to get that treatment and to reduce that um, additional cost of care generated by the behavioral health condition driving the chronic medical condition, these integrated models clearly makes sense. It's not happening in a specially behavioral health environment exclusively. Again, that's really important for the deep end of the system. You know, for five to 10% of of patients that have severe mental illness or significant um, emotional uh, disorders in childhood, 
but the vast majority of the population uh, that has behavioral conditions that also have uh, end up having chronic medical conditions don't necessarily need that level of intervention and can be managed effectively in a medical integrated environment. And this right. is to the tune of, I mean, the, the opportunity cost in one of his papers was $406 billion annually. Hmm. And so if you only, if you only, uh, you know, affect 10% of that cost, we're still talking, you know, possibly $50 billion annually. And we've right. done calculations at Pacific Source and the opportunity for uh, decreasing total cost of care by doing integration is, you know, on the order of tens of millions of dollars. I'll just, I'll just say it that way. So, okay. um, it's real. I think there's better understanding of this by healthcare leadership at all those levels I talked about, the government entities, the health plans, the CEOs of health delivery systems. Um, but we continue to try to message that. And I think now we're really moving on to, okay, we, we're starting to appreciate that, but how do we implement it? And that's right, where it gets right. challenging, especially in this multi-payer environment. Um, but there are ways to do that. And you know, I think we're having some success. Absolutely. You know, the idea of, um, you know, having our kind of regional health plans understand more that this is something that, you know, can really make sense for the population. Um, absolutely. You know, so uh, one of the things that I think we, we've kind of touched upon, I wonder if you could talk a little more on is, it does seem in terms of the literature, most of the evidence around potential cost savings is a bit more on the adult side. Um, you know, and, and not that there isn't any on the, the child side, but um, do you feel like uh, from a strategic standpoint, you know, this needs to be a, a combined sort of pitch or do you think that the pitch for, you know, child integrated care can stand on its own? You know, I, I think it gets, you know, it's certainly secondary prevention in some cases, even tertiary prevention, but I, I do think there is the opportunity to address behavioral conditions at their onset. And we know mm -hmm. what three quarters of them onset before the age of 25 and a good bulk of those even by middle adolescence. So if we can identify those behavioral health conditions upstream and get mm -hmm. them treated effectively, then those kiddos don't become the adult patients who have untreated behavioral health conditions and have already developed the chronic medical conditions that are directly related to those behavioral health conditions. So I think we can make a direct correlation by the further we get upstream, the more we're going to reduce those total costs of care and have improved health outcomes in adulthood. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So, so Mike, I, I, I went to med school in Boston, and, and one of my public health professors used to run a health plan. And, you know, one of his kind of comments that always stuck with me was he sort of asked us, you know, how long do you imagine that most, you know, families stay with their health plan? You know, and I, I don't know, I, I was relatively naive at the time. I just sort of I threw out some you know, time amount in the sort of the course of, you know, four or five years or something along those lines. And he sort of came back to us and said, actually, it's closer. And this is based on his experience with the health plan he ran. It's closer to 18 months. Hmm. And from that perspective, he said, you know, the concept of, let's say, you know, uh, to be maybe a little bit cynical, a return on investment, you know, it, it sort of influences the time scale um, that folks kind of think about. And I, I, but to me, that seems, I have no idea whether that's still kind of a prevailing sense or if it might be different in a 
in a region like yours? Or how does that kind of idea of you know, so for instance, the idea that if we help prevent things upstream, it might help you know, you know, maybe defer some adult you know mental health, medical health costs. How does the idea of in the competitive you know insurance marketplace that will they be with us or not influence those kinds of like maybe financial decisions? Uh, it's it's a great question. Uh, yeah, we have a term for it. We call it churn or member churn. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Very real um, issue. And you know, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one is, uh, you know, fortunate enough to work with um, Pacific Source that really, I think, takes a perspective. It's one of our core values. I know they take this perspective that. Um, we just, we try to do the right thing and not always think about you know what is the bottom line. We're a nonprofit, so we have mm-hmm. uh, I think a little bit more leeway to do that. Mm-hmm. And really, um, I think one of the beyond just doing the right thing, we really see our role as partnering with communities and being very invested, involved in communities in a variety of ways, even outside mm-hmm. provider partnerships, but sure. uh, with other nonprofits and with the schools and. And, and just saying, if, if you want that kind of a health plan, um, this is what we do. Maybe we're not always the cheapest, um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that's what we have. And, um, and, and because of that, I think you know, we're able to have some leeway to do some cool, novel, innovative projects that may not happen in a for-profit company or one that's just saying, well, what's the ROI on this uh, 17 months because we (laughs) know we're going to lose that member at the 18th month. It's just not the way, you know, that that we approach it. And um, uh, so that's one thing. The other thing is, back to this kind of multi-payer environment, and and I'm perhaps Mm -hmm. a little idealistic here, but in those markets where we only have 1%, my thought is, you know, let's share the wealth here. Let's, let's go meet with these other health plans and, and let's, you know, we can't talk about, you know, what we're going to pay our rates. It's against, right, right. you know, it's antitrust, but what we can right. say is, can we get together with our provider partners and all of us sit down together and let's talk about what clinical models do we know work and how can we collectively decide what we want to invest in so that we raise all boats and improve the health of the population. Now, mm-hmm. it's an extraordinarily competitive industry, right? So mm-hmm, again, maybe mm-hmm. that's naive, but I do think there's an opportunity to do that such that then the provider can say, okay, if all these pairs want to do this and that's 70% of my um, patient base, then maybe I will adjust clinical models because we can get sustainable reimbursement. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate that perspective. Um, so I sort of closing out, I'm just curious, uh, your thoughts on kind of where's the future of integrated care going? Where do you see things heading and, and what, what's your sense of, of what's out there for us as a field? Well, um, there, there's tremendous opportunity. I think uh, we have a, a long way to go to really um, actualize um, child psychiatry and psychiatry in general, getting our professional membership into integrated settings. I, I still mm-hmm. think we, we have some advocacy to do there uh, in our own shop. And I'm optimistic that these younger generations will see this as an opportunity. So maybe we get away from setting up, you know, the boutique office practice and and do our <laughs> typical 50-minute uh, Anna Fern 
type of um, uh, treatment <laughs> modalities between but, two ferns. <laughs> <laughs> but get into um, uh, settings where we really have access to patients and can leverage population health. So I'm I'm optimistic about that. I think um, I think the next frontier here is really moving beyond just primary care integration and looking at these other settings. So so moving mm-hmm. into especially outpatient clinics, you know, women's health clinics kind of rises to the top of the list um, sure, during the perinatal period, but oncology and cardiology where we know there's so much behavioral health comorbidity. And, and then also um, med surge hospital settings and the ED, the PACU, the NICU, um, and other uh, other situations at med surge um, locations where we can also really reduce high-end costs, um, justifying why we're there, but also improving patient health outcomes at the same time. Absolutely. Well, you've uh, set out a, an exciting kind of future that we could all be heading towards. Um, I, I'm excited about more and more child psychiatrists doing integrated care work because I feel like it's creating a cadre of folks that are in, interested and invested in some of those more kind of population health questions. and. It really seems like there's just a lot of opportunity out there. Well, Dr. Franz, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so again, guys, uh, we've had a, a, this real pleasure. So Mike Franz, child lesson psychiatrist out in Bend, Oregon, and also the medical director of behavioral health uh, at uh, Pacific Source, a health plan out in Oregon. Thank you so much, Dr. Franz. Uh, thank you so much, Sarv. Great to be here. Absolutely. Um, and guys, I'm your host, uh, Sarav Sengapta. Um, and uh, this has been the American Academy of Child Lines and Psychiatry's collaborative and integrated care podcast series. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and, and tune in next time. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. <laughs>